Welcome to Impact the World, the show for and about creatives, changemakers, and entrepreneurs. This is a conversation episode where a special guest shares with me what they are creating and the behind the scenes journey of their experience. Hi, welcome to this episode of Impact the World with Paul Samuel Dolman. And it's funny, I'm recording the introduction for this show today and remembering that we shot this episode with Paul several months ago when we weren't in the middle of quarantine. So it's been very sweet and heartening to see the two of us sat in the same room as we've reviewed this episode. And Paul is actually one of my favorite shows that we've done so far. He's just so warm and he's also a wonderful podcast host and full of interesting stories. So I hope you enjoy this show. I will just let you know that we had some technical difficulties and you'll notice that if you're listening to the show in about the last 10 minutes, the audio quality will drop slightly. We've done everything we can to rescue it, so we hope it doesn't diminish your experience. And if you're watching the show on YouTube, you'll notice that we lost one of our cameras later on, so it will be mostly a wide shot. But we didn't want to lose the end of the episode because some of the things that Paul says there are some of the best things in the show. So hope you enjoy. Thanks for tuning in. This is Paul Samuel Dolman. Hello, welcome to this edition of Impact the World, and I'm thrilled to welcome my guest, Paul Samuel Dolman. It's the first time that Paul and I have met in person, but Paul and I were connected recently for his podcast called What Matters Most. It has had everybody on it of all different kinds of walks of life, 600 episodes. Paul has written four books, been a movie producer, a professional musician, and I'm thrilled to have him here today to talk about his journey of impacting the world. So welcome, Paul. Well, thank you so much, because normally I'm in that chair, literally. So it's fun. And you came on, and we we have talked about this. The response was off the charts. I'm not saying it just because you're sitting in front of me, but we literally talked afterwards and said it was a bit of a phenomenon. So I felt like I have to repay the karmic favor and we were destined to meet again we for were. the first time. We were, from an, brothers from another mother. But we, I also, like I said to you, I'd done a lot of interviews for the book and all of them were good, but some are more formal than others and some you just have a connection and you definitely facilitated that for us. And I'd never heard of you. So thank you, Kim Corbin, for connecting us. Thank you, Kim. Yeah. Thank you, Kim. Yeah. yeah, it was just fun and there was that flow and even being out here, this is a bit of a spontaneous trip, and this was the only thing kind of on the docket. Yeah. Maybe this is the reason I came, other than just be kind to everybody I run into in the meantime. And eat as much as possible seems to be. Which is the energy that you carry. So your show, your podcast, which is just about to, by the time this, this show comes out, will be well into its 600th episodes yeah. and beyond. What matters most? So I'll ask you today. What matters most today? And it's funny because even though that's such a, a, you would think an obvious standard question, I don't get asked that much and I don't always ask that on the show. And it probably changes and then yet it stays the same. Almost like the ocean is different, but it's always the sea. It's cliche. I would say, one, you have to be present because if you're not really here, where are you? And you're not in the moment, which is the only real thing. 
then I would say, on top of being present, coming with a loving presence, a compassionate presence. For me, curiosity, I'm really interested in how it is you see the world, or what does that be up to on those flowers, or the miracle of this whole thing when we stop and think about it. So for me, presence, love, compassion, curiosity, I think joy, but also being able to be present with the more uncomfortable aspects of life that then give us the contrast totally. without sweet and sour and minor chords. And, and it keeps evolving. It's simple, though. I think we can complicate it with our minds and read. I still read a lot, I doubt it. But it's, you can wipe all that away and just be right here and look at you. And I see a sparkle in you. I really do. And look at your eyes, you know. And I don't want to miss this. And we don't really look at each other. A lot of times we're somewhere, kind of somewhere else. So It's true. And I think what I just said undescribed, whoever listens to this can do that. It doesn't cost any initiation fees. There's no secret code. And it's utterly unique to you. You're the portal. The consciousness or whatever funny phonetics we're going to throw together today, Allah. But that's so interesting that you would say that because I think one of the things I experienced in you as a podcast host mm. is that you are hyper-present. And so it was a very hyper-present show. You know, when you're on the other side of an interview, there is often a set bunch of questions that you get asked time and time again. And even though there's a different spin, but with you, it's like we just, all that went out the window, which is great. It's my favorite kind of conversation. But now, having spent some time with you today, that's something you bring. So clearly what you're bringing as an energetic imprint through your show is one aspect is presence. But how on earth did you embark on this journey that 600 mm. shows later mm. has, has sat you here? How, how do you decide to do a podcast? How does that happen? And I'm glad it brought me here because mm -hmm. I'm really glad to be here in Malibu, California, which is just a beautiful place with you. And for the compliment, hyper-presence, that's like really a beautiful pres present to give me in presence. I think presence, authenticity, transparency, moving through the world without an agenda. I come looking to serve. And then, of course, the universe and you and everybody just showers us with gifts. I'm not really sure how the show started. I thought everyone had been saying you should do a podcast, you should do TV, you should do this. I'd written a book years ago called What Matters Most. I almost put together a television show called What Matters Most, which would have been that this. That was about 20 years ago, right? Yeah, book? good yeah. memory. And I almost, about 10 or 11 years ago, I had, we had the financing. It was going to be this, you know, I was going to start simply with people like Nelson Mandela and Oprah. And Just the small I thought I'd start with the small fish <laughs> and work my way up. And we were getting ready to do this. And I think the universe and in its infinite wisdom... Um, I wasn't ready. I didn't have the reps, uh, spiritual reps. Also, mm -hmm. I think uh, what matters the most back then was my ego showing the world that I belonged and that these were, you know, there was a reason for me here. And that was... Which I think is common. I think, I think that's yeah. such a common path for people who go into performing and then it turns into service. You know what I mean? Once that ego fulfillment has happened and you kind of get that out of the way, then it starts to become more service-based. If the caterpillar becomes a butterfly. Yeah. Otherwise, it crawls around as a scavenger, and you could be a billion-dollar scavenger out here, or a big star, or whatever. Uh, transformation is not guaranteed. I guess eventually it is, mm -hmm. since everything's the same thing. But 
So I did that, and ironically, this What Matters Most business was long before Hitchhiking with Larry David, which was the first, my which book. Which we'll come to, yes. We'll come to that. And it just didn't come together, and I was kind of heartbroken at the time because it was so close, And then, but it was okay. And then I, I, people were talking about podcasting, and I liked a couple podcasts. Now, this started about four and a half years ago. It's now it's everybody... I gassed up my car and the guy had a podcast who was the gas attendant. I'm kidding. But, and it started simply as kind of a joke. I was doing fake sponsors and for energy drinks. And there was a reverend on trying to pitch his revival tour. It oh, was I would like to. Hear, I, yeah, I, I wish that was on when I was on. I didn't hear any of that I stuff. I could run that ad. Yeah, that would be and, funny. And uh, we almost did it on the 500 show and there were people, the, the calmer heads said, maybe not now that you've had presidents That's of countries true. and things like that. Uh, and then it was like, I, have always, I know a lot of people, I love people. That's another thing about That's that. Close, but you can't fake that. And so I knew the great historian, two-time Pulitzer Prize winner, David McCullough. And I was talking to him, and he loved the idea of the podcast. And he said, well, maybe I'd love to come on. And deep. So when you start with him as an author, whenever I sent any other author a request, they figured I must have been vetted. They were wrong. <laughs> and then Marianne Williamson came on, Father Richard Rohr, Rob Bell, Julia Cameron. I've lost track. Uh, we eventually had the president Vicente Fox's people reached out. And back then I had asked pretty much who wants to come on. Now it's luckily, it's kind of sadly, there's not enough space for all the great people. Yeah. So, and then it grew. And I think I decided at some point that it was, uh, uh, it was an act of divine service, that it was mm. a bit of um, what's the word? It was, it was a calling. Not me, but holding the space. I've had people say there was an energy, even over the phone. Mm. And I feel like I'm just there as a space holder, divine witness to let the divinity in people come out. And then the more I got out of the way, go figure, the bigger it got. And it continues to grow. But I never look at the numbers because I know my ego would be thrilled for about a minute and then it would wish it was more. So I keep that guy in a cage. He's in the other room. If you hear any rattling... We keep him in there. He's so ambitious. God bless him. We throw him some scraps. And it's become this beautiful thing. Uh, and I just listen. I'm living mm -hmm. my life in a very open sort of surrender experiment. Mm -hmm. So speaking about your life, you began as a pro musician, according to your bio on your website that I was snooping around on earlier today. So, so yeah, take, take us back then to kind of, you know, where did, what, how did your, your journey with entertainment, edutainment begin? Because it seems like those have been the worlds you have crossed in, putting, putting storytelling experiences out into the world, being part of that. Now, how far back do you want to go back to when I arrived on the spaceship, or should we just go ahead to the vocational era? The spaceship would be great. Uh, Maybe we'll that do that in another whole story. Other show. Yeah, another show. Don't want to alarm any of the mammals who watch or listen to this. Was music your first path as, as a kind of early adult? Always loved music, loved the Beatles, loved songs. Grew up with a very highly cultured, two of the best parents ever, my father, my best friend, and my mother, who helped me build strength. And... But I was in sports, mm -hmm. and then I had the realization, the crushing realization about 18, that I was not going to be a pro athlete. And I 
Well, can I you, ask why? Why did why was what, how did that reali- realization show itself? I just wasn't good enough. Right. I did that, and then I got injured too. So it's just in case I missed the point because I often do. And what was your sport? I was good in basketball. I was good in baseball, and I was mm. when I was younger. I was actually had a gun. I could be a quarterback, but mom banned tackle football after I think tenth grade or ninth grade, and she was really smart. I argued with her for a year about that, but then I told her for thirty years after that she was right. Just that once. And I had a mad crush on a woman in Martha's Vineyard where I've been going since I'm little. It's like a homing port. And she was kind. She was four years older than at Yale. And I was, and she played the piano and sang. And I started to play around and I had like a natural affinity for the piano. And almost immediately melodies started to come through. Some sort of, they're doing it still and I'm mm. more facile at letting mm-hmm. them out. So I just fell madly in love with playing the piano. The world fell away, and I realized now in hindsight, that's actually when I was meditating. I'd turn the light out, Lee, and play for hours. I would play Moonlight Sonata over and over again, and other things would blend in. I would lose myself. I wouldn't eat. Turn that light back on, and be seven hours later in the middle of the night, just for love. Yeah. The following summer, I went back to Martha's Vineyard. I was driving a cab, and I was waiting for a fare playing in a hotel. This little inn, the guy came flying out. I thought I was going to get in trouble. And he said, do you know any Gershwin? Do you know? They hired me. I couldn't believe someone was going to pay me and more importantly, feed me. So that just happened randomly because you were playing, you, oh, you were doing your gifts and then someone said, there's can a I put a structure around your gift? Can I we note it. that for all of you scoring at home? <laughs> I was following my bliss, as the great teacher Joseph Campbell would say. I started writing music and I was, I was playing the piano and I took, I was on an academic scholarship at the time for a small school in Florida, but every elective I took was music for fun. And I was playing all over the place. And then I ended up in a small ensemble background music thing, singing behind Barry Manilow. Hopefully, I don't think that's online, so maybe we'll edit that later. From that, his musical director was from Berklee College of Music. I got a scholarship there started recording music, had songs published in Los Angeles and Nashville, moved to Nashville, was a writer and playing the piano. And I ended up starting a small entertainment company because I could do the business side, like a translator, and then the creative side. And then that, at first, nothing happened and I almost starved to death because I couldn't figure out how to make any money, which is a recurring theme in my life. And then it took off. And at its apex, my soul said, all right, we're done. We have enough coupons. We're out. And there was an ensuing argument between the linear personality and the soul threatened to shut everything off. And I didn't want to have anything bad happen. I'm a bit of a scaredy cat. So I got out of that. And I, then I had the vision for what matters most, the show. And hmm. long story short, here I am. Curious about something you just said. Yeah. Why do you think it is that money for you is something you don't want to retain? Yeah, that's a great question. I and I have so many friends. I have all these billionaire friends and multimillionaires. I in know the vineyard that about you. Yeah, so I'm want, curious. Who want me to meet, um, to monetize my podcast? It's free mm-hmm. for anyone listening. Well, I, I also really trust your choice. So I, I don't in any way think anything is a mistake here. No. I'm just curious, though, because you put that forth, you know, you're clearly like manifesting and affecting 
yes. affecting many people. You're on purpose. You've 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 got gratitude. You've got bliss. You've got joy. So I'm like, well, that's really interesting that you would then put forward this this uh, saying about yourself about money. So I was just curious if you had gotten underneath. Great question. What it is. And it was different back then. I think I had to go and make a lot, bunch of money, which mm. I did. I increased my income radically from my piano playing days. Mm. And I got a bunch and I built a house and I had all that and I did everything white guys are supposed to do. I got a big BMW and a Jeep and I had a girlfriend who was an ex-model who wasn't spiritual because I was trying to run at the time and mm. away from my destiny of being. Mm. I knew there was something, but everything again is perfect. I have several things, and they could be rationalizations, and you're welcome to call, call me out. One, I'm not penniless. I have, I'm in good shape. Yeah. And the way I would equate it, if we were a nature show, when's the last time you saw a lion hunt, have a great meal, and then go kill a few extra things <laughs> for later, just in so case, and, yeah. throw, and drag them up at the cave where they would decay? Yeah. Just because you never know, there might be famine later and the lion would die. Yeah. I have way more than enough. So actually you're fine. More than fine. Exactly. So I'm I was actually just curious very, about that very, statement. I'm, I'm you're very abundant. I'm rich. Yeah. I'm like a billionaire. Yeah. I just had a multimillionaire text me because they were unhappy and they were worried. I'm not bragging. And he said, what advice would you give me? I said, go get a massage. Go swim in the ocean. He's down in Florida. He's very rich. Go sit in a graveyard. Mm. And then go get a journal and write what you're thankful mm. for. And he said, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. He wrote back. I had a guy call me, a multimillionaire I know from Arthur's Vineyard from Italy the other day. He's on vacation with his wife because gold was way down. And mm. he was worried. These aren't wrong paths. Mm -mm. I feel like... At least now, I might get caught in traffic and you might see another side of me. But I did get caught in traffic coming out of here. But where did it matter where I was? Mm -hmm. The mountains were beautiful. I actually noticed them because I wasn't driving it's very quickly. It's gorgeous, I know. And the smoke was a cool color. And the mm -hmm. light, it was all mad. So I have way more than enough. Yeah. I don't look at my friends who have G5s. I look at the swear to God on this, take my life. I took a hot shower this morning and as I was toweling off, I thought there are at least two or three billion people in this world who may never have that experience. Once. Mm. I have it one or twice a day. So I have running water. I have friendship. I had a great lunch with a film producer, TV guy, and then we'll probably break bread again, or we won't. I can afford to miss a meal. So, and I'm hurtling through space on a giant magnet, and I have more than enough. Mm. I trust that if I need more coupons, for some reason, they will manifest. They will manifest. Yeah. I'm more concerned being here and loving, joyful service, no martyrdom allowed. But I do think there are some, there is some energy around it. I you your your beautiful high vibration. I think But what you said is so perfect. Like I so agree with everything you said. You, and you, I, I've known so many people who are, are very rich, uh, who are miserable. And even for myself. I feel so abundant in life, but there was a point when it crossed over from, you know, the kind of the month to month struggle mm -hmm. into, oh, it's okay. The, the rent is paid for and I can afford to pay for this, this, and this. And there was this weird feeling of purposelessness for a while, which on my very small level to me was the same thing as when someone becomes a millionaire overnight 
and they're lost because we're all taught to chase this dream. Um, so I'm not in any way endorsing that it's better to have loads of money. I was just curious that you brought it up because I see you as such a as such a example of living abundance. So I was just curious that came out of your mouth. And, yeah. and there's nothing that I would need that I can't buy today in this moment. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm funny because I like rented a car, but I was almost rented a Tesla for $80 a day or whatever. And I tried to do it through this app and it was so damn complicated, I gave up. And it really wasn't in and I thought, no. And so I got a car that's perfectly fine for $30 a day. Yeah. But I have a car. Yeah. I'm not gonna walk up here or, I hit, or get in a bus. I'm way too spoiled. I get the bigger seat if I can on the plane. Or I don't go, I, I eat well, I have so much. But I do have to say that I feel like in our society and unbridled capitalism, it's almost like the manifestation of cancer. It can't stop consuming. Mm -hmm. And I'm out in LA and I see so much want and hunger. I mean, by people that are so, but they're just never gonna be full. They're mm -hmm. like what the Buddhists would call hungry ghosts yeah. who have big stomachs and small mouths. And if you can't appreciate what you have now, you never will. And I just try to take gratitude as a bedrock emotion of what matters most. And there's nothing lacking. I mean, the universe brought me out here. These people flew me to LA, I'm sitting here. Yeah. I don't need to, I could have bought a ticket. I told them I would buy my own, but they, the universe, I just gave somebody right before I left Martha's Vineyard $300 for no reason. My ego did not want to do that, I'm gonna be honest. For what, <laughs> give him $100, give him $50. We, you know, the higher wisdom said three. And I literally bitched about it mm -hmm. for three days as I got up. <laughs> I'm human, I'm stupid. At, yeah. And in the meantime, people are buying me a ticket, I'm staying in Bel Air. It's been, I've been driven around. I mean, it's, I live like a billionaire, a millionaire, I'm so rich. I have a few breaths left. I don't know how many, but I think I see money just corrupt things. Mm. And also in a weird way, it's, um, Lee, it's like layers. You know, the guy sweeping the floor is just so unguarded because he's thinking if I'm talking to him, I don't want anything, I'm just being nice. But in my book, I call it the billionaire lean back because they're thinking they get hit up by so much. Yeah, so it's interesting. You've you've just talked a little bit about the lean back, getting hit up, money, driving. Makes me think of your book, Hitchhiking with Larry David. Now, what is that book? I mean, I have a sense of it, but perhaps explain to our listeners and viewers what Hitchhiking with Larry David is, because I know it's been you, the book of yours that has had the furthest reach. So and I'm great questions, Lee. And I gotta say, I just absolutely love this. This is about as much fun as I could have today. <laughs> and I, it hit me. I realized that tomorrow night I'm having dinner with one of my characters from the book called Billionaire Bob, who happens to be in LA, and we're gonna have dinner in Beverly Hills. Nice. Isn't that strange? And I'm such a good PR guy that I didn't bring a book to hold up. So I was gonna hold up Lee's incredible book, Energy Speaks, which I'd highly recommend. So uh, when did the book come out? And I have wonderful cards that I never carry. The book came out, I'm not good with time, I think about nine years ago. Mm -hmm. And what happened was, I, this is how the universe works. I went out to San Diego because I was on my way to Cabo to get the money for this television show, What Matters Most. And I met the most beautiful, wonderful girl whose last name was Miracle, true story. I didn't know it for four days. We signed into the yoga thing. And then I thought it was like a West Coast thing, Moon Spirit. I said, is that your real name? And it was. 
and I had written in a journal a few days earlier, it's going to take a miracle for me to meet somebody. <laughs> I, I realized then the universe was quite literal, so I better be careful what I thought, right? And so we fell madly in love. I thought it was temporary in Del Mar, California. We came back to Nashville. We had a golden period, and then we broke up. For a, It's a very complex story. Uh, and while we were apart, I went back like a homing pigeon to Martha's Vineyard. While I was there... I went hitchhiking because it's safe and beautiful. And I'd loaned out my car and I, my legs were sore because the very first day I'd ridden the bike too far in my energetic, trying to outrun my pain. And if, can you believe that Larry David, the comedian, the creator of Seinfeld on Curb Your Enthusiasm, pulled over and now I recognize him even though I've never seen his shows. I'm not a big TV person. I don't watch television. I'm allergic to it. So... I got in the car and I swear, he leaned back. It was a beautiful day in Martha's Vineyard and he, he asked me if I was a serial killer. He said, you're not one of those serial killers, are you? Which I thought was great because I guess there's a code of honor amongst them. They have to tell the truth. Although his timing was terrible. You're supposed to ask before they get in the car. <laughs> I thought this question seemed so earnest and I realized it was Larry David even though I don't watch any of his shows, which at the time I thought would not come up on the ride, but. It did. I'll let you read about it. So I thought, you know, I said, you know, Larry, I'm on the vineyard. It's the summer. So even if I am, I'm not working. I'm on vacation. Serial killer vacation. I'm on like it's a profession, like one of those old Bugs Bunny cartoons. <laughs> he cracked up. He said, I'm Larry. I'm Paul. And I said, I'm going to the far end of the island. And he said, oh, I said, just take me as far as you go. And then I'll go the, take the next ride. God bless him. He drove me all the way up there. And we had this very deep talk, way beyond the character of Larry David, about God and spirit and nature. Is there, he was amazing. And at first he was quiet. I thought he was going to kick me out of the car. But he said, no, that's a good question. And, he put, and the key thing, and this is true for everyone listening, so important. He had never picked up a hitchhiker before. And so I said, well, what made you pick me up? And he was quiet. I thought he might drop me off. And then he put his hand on his heart and on his heart and said, I don't know, I just felt like I was supposed to. And then we had some of the craziest synchronistic meetings and we kept saying, what's this about? We're going to have to figure this out. You mean meetings you were bumping into each other? On the vineyard. Mm -hmm. And thank God I was always there first or we probably would have been arrested for stalking. Uh, he's in the Palisades, so I'd be curious if we run into each other. But I think that era is, we have seen each other since. And I wasn't like, this is my break, I'm going to write a book. But what was beautiful about the summer, Lee, was all the other people who also, I said, I like this hitchhiking thing. I started hitchhiking everywhere. I met all walks of life. And it's a story about love and surrender, staying open and magic. I wrote my own manual. But I didn't have the idea until the very last night of that summer, which I thought I was staying two weeks. I stayed a lot longer. And I had a conscious dream that said, why don't you? Because the universe would never tell a soul with free will what to do. It suggested in lights, no kidding, write a book called Hitchhiking with Larry David. I could see the theater now, and I thought, what a great idea. You know, we did. I felt something, download. Then I woke up back in Martha's Vineyard my last day. I was going back to Nashville, and I wrote on a little piece of paper that I still have, Hitchhiking with Larry David. And I walked around for a few days, and I thought, how does one write a book? And the universe, and it's fun, said, well, one word at a time, I would imagine. Right? <laughs> 
<laughs> Hang on, that's great. One word at a time, I would imagine. There you go. If anyone out I there said is that wanting that to, there you go. Good. If you're looking to write a book, if you're people, wanting to write a book, you people tell it. me that all the time. How do you write a book? And I haven't been. I remember mm-hmm. what they told me. And no. it's true. It is one word at a time. So I started writing this thing, and, and then there was this very deep part where I almost drowned, and other honest, and I said, "Well, I don't, never told anyone about that." And so it was we had a come to Jesus literary moment. I guess he was there, and it was like, "Well, what?" Are you writing about how authentic is it? Why aren't you trying to live completely authentic? So I wrote the most honest, revealing, transparent book under the guise that it was never going to be a book. I was writing a Google document that might someday be a PDF if it was lucky. Right. No one's ever going to read this. And I never thought twice until the night before it came out when I suddenly was about to fall asleep and I said, oh my God, what have I done? (laughs) Sort of like Oppenheimer with the bomb, maybe a little less. That's an obscure reference for those at home. And I thought, no one will ever read this thing. And God bless it, it's become a huge bestseller. It sells more every year than the year before. So who published the book and how did that happen? It's a cool story, at least to me. I had a little, I had experience in the entertainment business with publishing and they offered, I had friends that had published books and the, the deals were terrible. So I think somebody offered me couple terrible offers, like if it ever came out. And so the entrepreneur in me thought, why don't I just print these up, bring them to the vineyard, do like 200 of them, try to sell them. And if not, I've got Christmas gifts for a while for everybody, you know. Oh, you gave us that last year. <laughs> oh, I did. Sorry. No, this is, this is for your other, other room. You might need two. And they're wonderful coasters for those at home. The wa- I had the cover be waterproof so you could put it under a plant. And anyway, so it took off. It became this big thing. I mean, it went viral. I was amazed. I couldn't believe. I get notes. I put my email in the back. I get notes still all over the world. Incredible stories because I was transparent. It was an unofficial yeah. permission slip. And then massive synchronicity. A film producer went on a blind date with a lady who was a big, big literary agent. He gave her a copy of it. Some other movie producer uh, optioned it for film. It's been optioned two or three times. Thank you for that. And because, and just for anyone who doesn't know, an option is basically when someone puts a hold on it and they give for you a, a nice, period of time. Yeah, they give you like thousands of dollars. You should ask for that. And then in two years, you keep the money, and then maybe they give you more money. Yeah. Yeah. So, and the options expired. So I guess I'm due again. So I'm not totally against money. So if anybody wants to make this movie, you I'm can email money. him here. <laughs> no, no, hey, you used the word entrepreneur. So I'm, you're, no, you're I clearly okay there. No, I know I can hustle. You, even, you I, even knew to make it like a coaster. You, you knew how to make it a multifunctional product. Now that's smart go. thinking. And it was made with recycled twigs. Or something. It's it's a cruelty-free book. I do that's know that. great. Cruelty. The only cruelty is the writing, which times. <laughs> so sorry. And uh, it, it ended up being picked up by Gotham Penguin. Mm. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to take credit for being a bit of a hustler. She. That was an incredible story. Miraculous. I had forgotten. Uh, I was happened to be in L.A. where she is, and we met. Synchronicity. I was guided to buy a ticket that time, and. I just thought I couldn't believe some big agent loved the book. Go, go to it. I mean, I know it's a long shot. And then she called me about seven months later and there was this going on and Gotham Penguin, maybe I should reveal this, I hope they don't listen. So she got this really good offer. And the old hustler in me said, why don't you ask for that? 
She said, oh no, this is incredible for the first. I said, well, do this, ask. I was on a bike in Martha's Vineyard, greedy little bugger that I really get. <laughs> so uh, I'm totally shooting the hole in the no money thing. It's, that's a recent occurrence. So I said, ask for that. If they say, are you kidding? Say you have to call me, but don't even call me. Take this and be, we'll be grateful. She said, you know, you're right. It's nothing, you know. Sure enough, an hour later, they took that. And I had the corporate publishing experience too. Yeah. So that's why that happened. And if you're writing, just write for love. Cliches, write for love. I just had to help somebody who wants to write. I said, just write, write for love. Well, and you've written a few more books since then. Well, it became a bit of a hit. And then I've got so many emails because I put my email in the book and you told me you can't respond to everybody, but unfortunately I met you much later. <laughs> hey, and I, I, I used to respond to everybody years ago until it got, until I realized I would be spending all my time writing emails and not producing any of the things that were encouraging people to write me emails in the first place. Cause you know, you have to, you have to well, pick and choose. A couple things. One, you're much more famous and well-known than me. So you probably have more followers. Two, I was looking for any way to avoid writing. So writing the emails back was great. So, right. No, uh, I got so many notes and said, what happened next? So I did something. Unfortunately, it was the next book was a sad, it was like a different song, a different album. We didn't want to, if we were the Beatles, if we had a hit with, I want to hold your hand, you know, I didn't want to write, I want to hold your other hand now. Mm. It would be like a little boring. So we went to some, and then there was a, that's called Martha's Vineyard Miracles. And then people still wanted to know, I hadn't scared enough folks off. But some people said, oh, this is not the first book. And others were like, oh, now you've taken literary jump. I don't know, I just kept eating. And then the third book was Seven Crazy Days in Maui, because I went to Maui yes. on a whim. And then the fourth book is Beverly Hills Hobo, because after Maui, I was invited to come to Beverly Hills, in the meantime, to publicize the Gotham version of the first book. Ended up movie producing stuff. And I wrote a book about it, which is really a commentary as they all are on who we are and who I am. So you ended up movie producing. How did that happen, Mr. Manifesto? It's a great story, and I'm saving a lot of people the reading trouble. Just send money directly to Lee. We're going to spend, <laughs> spend it. We will put links to all of Paul's books um, underneath this show. Go to the library, <laughs> but do send money to Lee. Please. You can still go and see the book at the link and then go and find it at the Yes, exactly. By, by yes, reads. please find it. Support yeah. your local library. I came, I was taking a picture one of the last weeks I was in Maui of a lovely regal woman, about 6'1", and her daughters. She had the gold and the Chanel. I don't know that, but she told me later. And I just thought, that's Beverly Hills, little intuition. And she thought I might be the groundskeeper in front of the Four Seasons because I was the way I was dressed, a little unshaven at the time, which is normal. I dolled myself up for this show, just so you know. <laughs> and she said, what do you actually do? And I told her about the book. She went out and ordered it right away and we bid ourselves adieu. I was coming to LA to stay with the film producer who had optioned the book, The Brew Man, and she emailed me and said, I just read it. It's fantastic. If you're ever in LA, why don't you look me up? And I said, I just landed. You're psychic. What happened was we ended up having lunch the next day or two days later. And I'd met some people who had had a thing who had were movie people who had liked the book, but it was already optioned and a money guy. I had lunch with her and she said, you don't know anything about the movie business. My next door neighbor is trying to get his movie made. And I said, some, be happy to help. Who's, who's that? And she said, Mickey Rourke, the actor. Mm. So I go to her place and there's Mickey next door. 
If I ever get lung cancer, it'll be from that hour or two I spent with them with smoke, but uh, worse <laughs> than the fires. But, uh, and then I just, the universe opened up. I was supposed to have that experience. And I started meeting stars. I had scripts and taking meetings. You'll read all about it if you get Beverly Hills Hobo. I stopped meditating, not a good thing. And then I- Why did you stop meditating? Uh, I kind of put, there's been a, this is the first time these last couple of years where we're integrated. Mm. It's almost like a pendulum. Hmm. The monk gets a run, and then we went to like five years. We sold everything. We were on the beach in Maui, and you know the smoothie's amazing, and the different, plum. just different vibration. The movie world as well, right? Exactly. Yeah. And then it's over here with linear guy. Who then he takes over for a while. The coupon hmm. supply is allowed. Then we go back. We try to get in the Plum Village, but TikTok Don won't let us because he's too smart. And then. So and that's a true story. Yeah. yeah. Well, he didn't say that. There's <laughs> people. So, no, they always say you can come for a while, but you have to leave. The universe has got me yes. on some sort of list where I have to be in the world. Yes. Talking to people, yes. mammals and humans. Yes. People in red hats. Don't exactly. Last. That's why you were dropped off from the spaceship. Yes. And if I complain about it, they add time onto my sentence. Right. It's just harmlessly slim, swimming with the great white sharks. I wasn't looking for any trouble. Yeah. They did need me and they added 10 more years. So... I just said yes to everything. So I ended up living in this woman's on her estate in a guest house. And there's a dame, as there always is in a movie story, and famous people and stars. And But something was missing. I think it was the last run. I let linear hustling guy do his thing, like to get the karma or something out of his system. But Lee, it was just empty. And mm. I couldn't find any happy people who lived at the top of the hill, who mm. had the jets. and. You weren't sure if you were going to get paid. In the meantime, everyone was asking me if I was going to keep writing because of the first book. Mm. And I said, oh, no, that was lucky. I don't, not really a writer. Yeah. Hadn't claimed that either yet. And then I just, it's like I woke up like I do every morning and I just laughed at myself. I went down to Encinitas and started meditating at the SRF gardens on the ocean and playing with this old Labrador. I think his, what was his name? But didn't... Um, I got back to myself. And I've been on a roll ever since. Not without its bad moments. But. Mm. So that was, that was the story. Do you ever feel, because it's interesting, I've had lots of people in this chair so far who are creating things, putting things out into the world. And one of my intentions for this show was to, um, to have conversations with creators and people who are doing things in the world, whether that's in the local community or on a big scale. One of the things I'm always fascinated in people who do what you do, people who do what we do is that balance between introversion and extroversion, because it takes a certain level of extroversion to do the thing that is you having the conversation for the podcast, you being with people, and then the introverted nature. How do you balance those two? Or is that just not a problem for you? Are you just happy to, to always be um, doing your show? Or do you ever struggle and have periods where you're like, I don't know if I want to show up for this right now? Or What a brilliant question. And you have no idea how timely, because I had an epiphany on this meditating this morning in this beautiful garden in Bel Air. That's amazing. And the epiphany that I had, I'll first, I'll unpack it is that I'm an extroverted recluse. 
Oh, that lights me up. I think I might be the same. I Explain what are. that is. I think I'm the same. That's what came. It makes me want to cry, actually. Right. When I got that term, I'd never thought of it in all these years here on this planet. Uh, I'm an extroverted recluse. Mm. I love people, but I actually spend, I'm an iceberg where most of my time is spent alone with nature, with music, with birds. And then I come in, I guess the way the sun comes through every day, but I need that time away. And if I stay too long, I kind of start to not, and if I stay away too long, so there's a balance there. Everything's these spirals, but I literally had the term today, extroverted recluse, which I'm keeping, and we've got to write that somewhere. I mean, that was a few hours ago, this morning. And there are so many times with the show, I thought after 200, that's enough questions for one lifetime or 300. And then when I went to do the switch, it's like they changed the code. It's like, oh, no, you don't. You work for this now. Mm -hmm. But there are balances. We almost didn't do our show because I thought I didn't want to ask another question. And Kim was just, she knew. And, and I didn't want to do another interview about We talked book. about it. And then here <laughs> I am. But it was Kim. Kim, lifelong friend. Exactly. And the, one of the best shows we've had ever in terms of response. I started getting hundreds of notes right away and within a day. And because I said yes and I listened. But so I think your brilliant question is, I have to take the time in silence. I have to, I've always just been okay by myself. Uh, I'd love to find a partner. I'm gonna mm. put out an advertisement right now. I'd love to find a soulmate, someone who could sit also in silence. Someone who, if I went for a walk, wouldn't feel so bad or bike ride, and, or if she did. Mm. And I think if I find another extroverted recluse, I might be fine because they're self-generating. I'm plugged in. Mm. But a little too much of mammon and the world gets me down. And I was in New York recently and all happy, but about the fourth day I was looking to leave. It was too much, even though I was staying in a, my own place, which was quiet. I kept retreating to Central Park. Mm. That's where, that's the Central Park has always been my haven when I'm in New If I can be in the park every day, I have the best trips. If I can't, I struggle after too many days in New York. That was it, I had to go. I felt like a, the, like a, one of those Aquaman that had to go swim around. And same here, I'm in LA and I like Malibu, cause it's mm. that and I felt like today I've been here about a week and I thought, oh, I could leave if you want me to leave because I think it's just been a bit too much and I haven't really done too much. I'm staying in this beautiful home. I would be fine just drinking juice there and reading and meditating and taking long, I took a long walk at sunrise today up hills. So happy. So extroverted recluse is being fed here. It's like you get to be alone. I, I love that phrase. I have just literally been saying to Stephen this last week, that I'm so happy right now at home. <clears throat> I'm at home with our cats. Like my favorite thing to do and be right now this past couple of weeks is this small little life that just revolves around these very small. And he laughed at me and said, uh, you know, you said that to me three years ago. And I was like, huh? Because I was basically saying, oh, I could just stay here. And I have a friend who said to me the other day, oh, you've got such a big life. And I went, why do you say that? And she went, well, because you're always doing this with your work and you're going off. And, and yet the irony is like for me, when we're not doing like a work trip, I do not want a big life. I want a small mono life that's quite repetitive because that's how I can recharge. So I love this extrovert oh. recluse because I recently have been feeling like a very happy recluse and I have to like come out for the work things, but 
I love what you said. It's kind of that thing that I have learned through doing this job and mm. showing up for this job. Sometimes when I don't want to, sometimes thinking I want to stop doing things like my monthly videos, the energy updates, and then realizing I'm glad I didn't a year later because you change and the structure of what we do and what we agree to do in the world, we grow through it and with it and we change, but the gift of it is just connection. Like you might think you're writing a book, but actually what you're doing is you're creating this vehicle to connect with a load of people. And, and that's what I love about being a creator, mm -hmm. I think. It takes time to perhaps experience that as a creator, but actually what you start to realize is whatever it is you're compelled to do, whether it's create a child, whether it's create a book, whether it's create a party for your street, it's going to, all of these gifts are going to come from it that you have no idea about, but on some level you do have an idea because you're compelled enough to do it. And often there can be that feeling of, oh, I don't know if I want to go. I don't know if I want to do it. That's always a sign for me. Oh, this is probably going to be good. If I'm now thinking, I don't really want to go there, then that means this, unless I'm really clear, no, I shouldn't go there. It's like, okay, something good's going to happen here. You can't say it better than that. And it's true. I kind of didn't want to come out to LA. I'm so glad I did. And that's it, what you just said. And I, when I'm in Martha's Vineyard, I might interview the president of Mexico. Then I get on my bike, I ride to the Morning Glory Farm and have a salad. I walk the beach, I swim. It's simplicity, I'm in stillness. I'll give everybody a secret, I hope they find it too, within themselves. I realized in the last couple of years, there's nothing I can do or achieve externally that will ever add anything to me. Yes. Or any value or any, and if I want an emotion or a feeling from that, I can create it right now. I don't have to leave my seat. Now, I might want to leave my seat and hug you, but it's, I'm free. I'm out here, I have zero sense of hustle. I don't feel ambitious the last couple of years, and part of me feels like there's something wrong with me. I'm not ambitious, and then I think, How are, you, are you happy? I'm like, very happy. Peaceful, yeah, connected. Mm -hmm. I started the podcast because I wanted to meet my soul tribe. Mm -hmm. That's really what I did and, and learn and that's all. And I don't look at the numbers, it's getting, whatever it is, it's big or it's small, it's irrelevant. I want the guest to be happy. I love all the notes, but I'm just surrendering. I don't need anything. I have everything, I am everything. Now, I don't always know that because sometimes I'm encumbered by the five senses or I couldn't be in this little beautiful dream, but I am everything. I know that for a fact, I know beyond a fact. So I just, I'm a portal of experience, a portal of presence. I'm here to just have this. And I just listen, what do you want me to do next? And they constantly remind me, just love what's in front of me. Keep it simple, love what's in front of me. If I became bigger by the world standards, I may not necessarily be any happier. I couldn't be, it'd just be different. If I meet a soulmate, I'll have a different experience, but I'll still be just so wonderful, I think. And then the life might take her away and I might experience sadness. I would want to feel that grief. I lost my father, it was heart-wrenching. Um, but I, you, were, you were caring for him. I did. In, in the final stages. Well, the last five years. Yeah. I did the best thing I've ever done in my entire life. Uh, the book was taking off and it was after the movie stuff and I almost made all this money in one deal and thank God I did. 
Thank God I did. And I came home to visit them in Florida and I had seen them a lot, but something, they seemed older and they were about to go and they were talking about going into assisted living. Um, chokes me up and I thought, well, maybe I could be the assisted and you could keep on living in your house. You who gave me life, who loved me. That's the lottery, to be loved and welcomed, especially by a father. He didn't have that. And so it started simply. I didn't think I'd be there for the last breath. I just did what was in front of me, but we became best friends and they became my children. And I just took them everywhere and we had conversations. A lot of times it was so just simple sports weather, but what had, then it would be profound. And it's the best five years I ever had. And I couldn't care really. I would lost my job through time and mortality as caretaker. He's with me all the time. He comes like the dream that told me to write the book uh, suggested. He comes often and we have multidimensional dinners and conversations and there's been some beautiful metaphysical things as if, because so, my linear mind forgets every five minutes. And, but I just went back there and I took care of those that gave me life. And it was the best thing. And in the meantime, I launched the show and took off. I wrote four books. Fabulous, good for you. It didn't matter. It's great, people love it. I, I took care of my father, and now my mother's fine. She's in a dementia facility, but I look after her too. And that's all that counts. That's why I'm here. I'm here to tend to God's beautiful garden here. That's all I'm here to do. And if this helps even anybody, you know it's helped me. I thought that right before my book came out. I thought, well, I know the book's changed one life, the first one. And the miracle at the time who was with me said, well, who? And I said, me. And that's all that mattered. And not in a narcissistic way. It was in resonance. I'm living now in resonance. I'm living aligned and integrated. I'm learning from you, Stephen. And I'm just listening. And it's still, I'm being reminded of things I don't know, like I'm an extroverted recluse. Or reclusive extrovert, whatever you want to say. I thought, I love what? <sighs> Something new. And so are you. Yeah. I think there's a book title there. I think so. Because that, that phrase lit me up, and I've never heard it before. Because it seems, uh, yeah, so I think, I think there's something there. But no, I love what you just said because, mm. you know, I'm 43. And you know when people say, if you could go back and tell yourself when you were younger things. I mean, I don't really believe in that anyway, because I think our journey is our journey. Um, but I'm really enjoying, like, being old enough, mm. just old enough now to value peace over everything else. And to know that the part of me that used to strive to do things in the outside world, because I, you know, I, I was, yes, I was a compelled creator, but I was also healing certain wounds. Mm -hmm. That's now done. Like if I died tomorrow, I'm like, oh wow, this, this was the pinnacle of a life. Like for me, the experience was the pinnacle of a life. And someone Shoot. said to me the other day, they were like, what do you want to do next? And I said, uh, the next thing. And they were trying to rush me and they were like, well, in a couple of years. And I was like, <laughs> I, I don't care. I, I want to, I'm doing this podcast and I'm doing my impact the world training. And that's an, 
and that and that for me is is heaven to be able to be healthy well have a wonderful husband that i love get to have these conversations but 10 years ago i couldn't have said that because i wasn't there and i hadn't reached those places or had those experiences that had freed me so it's it's kind of an amazing thing and i sit here listening to you and i love what you're sharing because i now know that experience in my version of it but years ago i would have been too busy creating things so that i could have that experience whereas now i'm like oh cool sometimes i'm creating and an experience comes through that and sometimes i'm just experiencing but but i couldn't i couldn't slow down enough for that level of experience maybe a decade ago and and probably even 5 years ago i'm sure too to some degree so we got at the same time and by the way if we both had an experience the opposite the polarity we wouldn't know this oh yeah or have the richness of the contrast mm-hmm. So everything is contrast. I felt so connected about a month ago and I was like I know it's fleeting but man I don't know if I'll have another bad moment. And then the next day I woke up in a different state. I thought oh and I didn't resist it. It wasn't fun. Uh, it turned out a friend's son committed suicide and I must have felt him in the night and but I said oh it's just the richness of contrast. That's all. And what you said was beautiful and I'm just yeah both It's just listening and being in both you're in love, you're painting, you're making a difference we're here now. But most importantly, I I would say the the difference for me and I think this is true for all of us is uh dealing with pain is more experienced and so it, the, the the ups and downs are easier. You know, it's it's the 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 downs are no longer something to run from or be in terror of, but instead they are an inevitable part of the journey and there are there are ways of kind of seeing and feeling and being with it that to me is 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 kind of the biggest difference from like my childhood and my early 20s and kind of like some of the stuff i experienced that's the one fundamental difference and not being afraid of mortality when you were saying that so eloquently i'm a piano player whoever said the low notes were bad and you need the low notes and all the notes in between so i'm not a pianist like you no. i love playing the piano because of the vibration goes through the the body and there's nothing like those low notes going through your body thank you you didn't make it wrong so maybe in this life we need all 88 keys to have a beautiful symphony when we're all done when we have our own little opus right the lee harris opus and that's it just love what shows up byron katie's been on my show several times love what is mm. it's not always easy my ego has preferences i like when it surrenders and then lays out a detailed plan for the universe which is on a whiteboard and they just wipe it clean and say thank you for sharing and what would you do if you had a you knew for a fact you had a year to live from today for a fact i know you're not afraid to die either am i but you have 364 days left the first thing that comes to my mind is i would talk to steven and say can we go to england mm. be with my be with my parents and my family more because at the moment we don't you know might maybe i see them three four times a year So that's that's the first instinct I would go that's, with my family more which interestingly I have been making happen more this year anyway. So. I checked in you were there. Yeah. And what if you knew they only had 3 more months left? I would drop everything and go and be with them now for 3 months. And and exactly what you described with your dad is what I just ex- I just had this beautiful week with my parents recently. My dad had some health stuff that's um come up and uh so it was amazing. It was all the small moments But I said to Stephen when I came home, I've always been close to my mom and dad. Um I said I feel like I fell in love with my parents again. 
like at an all new level. And it's not that I was out of love with them, but I think it was the first time I'd been with them by myself without us in partnership for three years. I could just devote myself to them for the week. And it was the power of it was the teeny tiny moments, the conversations in the car driving from one place to another. Um, yeah, it, it was really powerful and, and yeah, so. You described those five years eloquently. Yeah. So I ask you then, what matters most? Life, mm. in all of its shapes and, 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 and colors. That's what I would say, life. I think life matters most, and I think our journey is figuring out how to be most available for our life and for people in our life. I like that. Paul, it's been awesome having you on the show. Thank you so much, brother. Bless you. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. You have been listening to Impact the World. For more of my work, please visit leeharrisenergy.com. If you are an entrepreneur, creative, healer, or change maker who wants to take your work to the next level in the world, consider joining my Own Your Value online course. Online video and audio plus live calls with me beginning May 26th and registration closes on June 7th. Visit leeharrisenergy.com or use the links below this video or audio.